Evening, everybody. Let's do this. Let's continue to worship just by where you are seated. Just take just a minute to take a quick breath. Maybe close your eyes and just spend a moment in prayer by finishing this sentence. God, thank you today for... And Lord, as we just sang, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth, in our church, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in our homes that your will would be done here just as it is in heaven. We ask that you would give us this day our daily bread, exactly what we need when we need it. We ask that you would lead us far from temptation, that you would deliver us from evil and the evil one. Lord, forgive us of our sins, and by your grace, would that motivate us and empower us to forgive others who have sinned against us. So Lord, we pray this, for yours is the kingdom and not ours, and yours is the glory and not ours, and yours is the power and not ours, forever and ever and ever and ever. We thank you for the life that you offer us, and your presence among us. Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Howdy everybody. Good to see you. Uh, this is your first time. Glad to see you. My name's Adam. Welcome to Providence. Um, good to see all of y'all. Glad you made it out this evening. What we've been doing is talking about a little book in the Old Testament called Jonah. It's a little bitty book and I'd invite you to turn there if you have a Bible. The text that we'll really be looking at tonight will be on the screen, so no worries if you don't have a Bible. It's all good. We're not going to kick you out. All right, where we've come so far in the book of Jonah. Jonah's a famous book because Jonah was swallowed by a fish. You thought I was going to say a whale. The Bible says fish, but regardless, it's not even about a fish. It's not even about Jonah. It's about God. And in particular, it's about God who is merciful. A God who loves the world. And this is crazy, and we see this in Jonah, because God loves Jonah, who's a religious guy, who thinks he has all the right things and all the right answers, and Jonah blows it big time, and God still loves him. And God is supposed to send Jonah to a nation that's violent, that is just angry, it's militant, it's imperialistic, it's ruthless, it's like the mob of Bible times, and it was nasty, and God says, Jonah, go there, because I want to give them a chance to come back to me. We're going to look a little bit at that nation, because Jonah finally winds up there. But Jonah winds up there tonight after a long detour. So where we've come so far, you know, at the very beginning of the book of Jonah, in chapter 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. How many people do you know named Amittai? Not many. 
But Jonah was the son of an Amittai, so there's at least one. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So Jonah heard this calling, okay? And then Jonah heard this call, and then God says, you're to go to Nineveh, which is that violent, nasty, mob type of place that I told you about. So Jonah gets a calling, then Jonah gets a mission to go to a place, but not only is he called and then given a mission, he's also given a message. So he's not just told to go and stay at the local La Quinta and, you know, have a beer and just chill out. He's told to preach against them. In chapter one, he says, cry out against them. And he says, cry out that in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overturned flip-flopped, knocked over, done. And in chapter one, he says, why? Because its wickedness has come up against me. So God, you can imagine, the God of heaven who rules and reigns the earth that he's created. But God is a God of one nation, Israel, and they follow him, but not all the time. But God still rules and reigns the whole earth he created. So even though Nineveh doesn't follow God or Yahweh, Israel's God, God still has a keen interest in a nation that is violent and wicked and nasty. He cared then and he cares now. So all the nations will someday give an account for the violence Nations and peoples will give an account for all the refugees coming over into Syria in this last week that are the, that are the age and size of my two and a half year old daughter because her parents were murdered or leveled. So God cares about the whole earth, the whole creation. So even when he says cry out against it because their wickedness and their violence has come up before me, he still is going to take a gamble on a wicked and violent nation. And he's going to give them an opportunity to repent, to reorient, to turn to him. So we know what happens if you've been around or just been around church. What happens, that's the first couple verses of chapter 1. Chapter, uh, verse 3, it says, so Jonah got up, good place to start, and what? Fled, he ran. So Jonah gets up and he bolts. And so Jonah then goes to a flight. It's like verse 3, it's been several weeks since we looked at it, but there's an immediacy to it. It says, God called, gave him a mission, and then gave him a message. And now he's going to go and do it, right? Well, there's an immediacy that says nobody ran. But here's what's crazy. Let's look at a map. We haven't looked at it in a few weeks. So we're starting again, and we're talking about chapter 1. So Jonah is from, if you see in the bottom corner, that place that says Gath Hefer. That becomes known as Nazareth. That becomes where Jesus comes from. And it's in the northern part of the nation of Israel. And so at the time that Jonah lived and that Jonah was being a good religious guy, a good prophet, Jonah was up there around that region because Israel was the nation, the area that was north, and Judah was a nation that was south. If that's confusing, don't worry. Come back next week because we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But what you need to know now is that Jonah is probably hanging out around somewhere there. And so God calls him, God gives him a mission, and then God gives him a message. But what does Jonah do? He doesn't go up. Do you see where Nineveh is? God told him to go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of that country there, Assyria. But Jonah doesn't go north. He goes south. And where he heads is to Joppa. You see Joppa there? 
we have verses 1 and 2 in chapter 1, and then it goes, but Jonah ran in verse 3. And now I think it's good to note where we are and where we're going to be tonight, that Jonah gets called, Jonah gets a mission, Jonah gets a message, but there are several days in between those two dots on the map. We have verse 2 right to verse 3. And Jonah says, no thanks, and deliberately, long-term, patiently, keep saying no, 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 no. Every step of the way to the coastal city of Joppa, he buys a ticket, he hops on a boat, and this dude thinks he's going to go all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to that little dot way in the far corner, the opposite corner, as far of the known world from that place, Nineveh, Tarshish. He wanted to go there. But we know the story. If you've been around here, you've been around other churches. God sees Jonah deliberately, patiently, long-term walking away. And what's also happening in between those two dots when Jonah's running is God is being patient. And so every step that Jonah's saying, no, 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 God is still with him, still calling him to perhaps on the next step, Jonah would turn and walk back to where he needed to be because he was called and he had a mission and he had a message that he needed to do. He had business to take care of, but he's bailing. So we see Jonah's deliberate disobedience. He gets on a boat, God turns up the heat, and he sends a storm, and he sends a storm, why? To reorient him. Okay? He says, you've taken so many steps between verse 2 and 3. Now you're in, in the boat and you're still taking a nap. You're running from me. And so God turns up the storm in order that Jonah would say, man, this really stinks. God, your way is better. And he still doesn't. Then he says, you know what? I'd rather die than do what God told me to do. So you know what, guys on the boat? Why don't you just toss me overboard? So Jonah's walked all this distance, he's gotten on a boat, he's taken a nap, then when the storm keeps amping up, amping up, God's still saying, come back, come back, come back. What happens is then he's going down and sinking and sinking, and then we see chapter two that closes out the first half of the book that we've looked at, and he says he literally sunk down to the depths in this beautiful poetic language of a song. He finally prays. We're not told that Jonah prays at any point in this book yet. And he literally waits till he sinks down to the very lowest part. And so then what happens is he says, God, wait, 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 I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Let's do this. And God's like, dude, what are you going to do, man? You're on the bottom of the dang sea. And so then comes the fish. And the fish is actually a good thing. It's the yellow submarine that takes him to the magical land back to land. Okay? And we all live in a yellow submarine. Amen. Let's go. I'm a big Beatles fan and that just crept up. It's not my outline. The fish was rescue. The fish was salvation. And so then the fish comes and finally, because Jonah reoriented, God reorients him. And so that's the first half of the book that we've looked at in Jonah. And so tonight, we've seen Jonah disobedient, running, 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 walking, 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 and this is deliberate. And we see God pursuing, 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 and he's patient. And then Jonah comes up out of the fish, and he's finally reoriented to God's mission. So that was Jonah disobedient. That was Jonah at sea. Now the narrator who has written this book, Jonah, has done just a beautiful job and we get a new Jonah 
a new section of the book, but it's the same call. It's the same mission. It's the same message. And it's beautiful. Look with me in chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. This is incredible. Last week I mentioned this. I just made a couple of notes. But we didn't record last week because we had two missionaries who had listened to a call, had sensed that God was sending them out on a mission, and they had been preparing for years and years, and they are yet going to prepare for another several years. And they know that God has given them a message to go to a nation that is just as difficult, just as violent, just as scary, just as wild as Nineveh. But we couldn't record it last week for safety reasons. And so I, I made just a couple of observations about this and, and really wanted to hear their heart. So if you were in childcare or you were unable to make it, uh, we'll talk more about it here later on. But for now, let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. These words should sound familiar to you. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. If you have a Bible, it's not on the screen. Look back at chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Back to chapter 3, it's up on the screen. It came to Jonah a second time. Now here's the thing. I spent this whole time telling you where Jonah's been up to this point. And I'm going to give you a Christian cliche that you're going to have to forgive me for using. But God is the God of second chances, is he not? And so here's the thing. Even as I say that, you say, yes, I've seen that on a bumper sticker. Yes, sir, I've seen that at Lifeway and I've purchased it. They're three for one dollar. Yes, God is the God of second chances, amen. Listen, wherever you were today, and maybe you didn't take as many steps away as the northern part of Israel down to the coast. Maybe you've taken a marathon and a half and a million away from God. God is still pursuing you. And when you mess up, the, the thing that distinguishes the Christian or the person that God is pursuing and the person that is trying to lean into Jesus is a person that trusts that we can run to God and not from him. And so Jonah blows it. He's drowning before he ever gets around. And God says, hey, glad you're back, dude. The word of the Lord still comes to him a second time. So God gives us a new Jonah, a fresh start, a new chance. Wherever you are today, he's giving you a new chance and a fresh start. And forget the Lifeway bumper sticker. It's just the reality. And the, the author here really wants us to see this. So it comes a second time. God still hasn't given up on Jonah, and he still hasn't given up on Nineveh. So you see that he's calling him, and then verse 2, he says, where are you headed? Well, Jonah, you remember, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. So he's headed to Nineveh. That's his destination. That's his mission, to get up, to go. And then he's supposed to proclaim a message that God gives to him. So, look at those words, I give to you. We're going to talk about tonight and see in Jonah's story, in Jonah's second call, in Jonah's second attempt, now Jonah's going to be in Nineveh, now Jonah's going to be obedient, is that God is still calling you. God has given you a mission. And God has given you a message. But here's the deal. It all originates with God. He is the originator, and we are the participator. That rhymes. He's the originator and we're the participator. Is that a word or participant? What I mean is God is on mission 
and he is inviting you. God is on mission, watch, whether you are or not. But the reality is, God has brought us who are his into life with him. And if we are in life with God, then we are a part of the body of Christ, who is the image of God. And God is, watch, reconciling the world through Christ. So if we're in the body of Christ, and God is reconciling the world through Christ, and I can't see and look at Christ, we have church at Providence Community, and Jesus is not sitting on the front row that we can see him and say, what's up, Jesus? But guess what? I can look at Chris and say, what's up, Jesus? Not because Chris is Jesus, though he's wearing a very similar shirt to me right now, and I would like to look like Jesus, we are God's plan A. That's another bumper sticker you've heard. God is reconciling the world through Christ. We're in Christ, so we have a similar calling to go. We have a mission to go, and we have a message that we're going to look at tonight. But it all originates with the God on mission. He is the originator. We are the participants that partner with him. So tonight we're going to look at Jonah's role, because finally Jonah's going to participate with God. Next week, we're not even going to get to verse 6. Next week, we're going to look at Nineveh. Because Nineveh is going to repent. And watch this, spoiler alert, even God repents. Mm, does that pique your interest? Come back next week for the shocking conclusion of Jonah. Part 6 or whatever this is. We're still called. We're still on mission, provided we partner with Him. So what do I mean that we're all called, okay? Every Christian is a missionary, period. Every Christian is a missionary, period. But not every Christian participates. Not every missionary participates. But this is the DNA of our church, okay? Providence Community Church. I just did a membership class last week, and we're talking about missional communities. And we're saying that it only works to reconcile the world through Christ, if the people who are Christians are seeing themselves as a part of the God on mission's plan to rescue what was lost, to rescue the family member in your life that is a lost cause, that you cannot imagine ever setting foot into a church, that God is wanting to partner with you in those relationships at work with this person that is beaten down and sees themselves as a victim, God is wanting to partner with you and say, you can say a word of encouragement. Notice I didn't say, you can get a nice tract and leave it in the bathroom so they can go in and mysteriously find it, and then they'll pray a magic prayer. God wants you to be the flesh, living, breathing body where they say, man, I've heard about Jesus in those bumper stickers Adam's talking about in the TV, but and this guy really looks in this moment full of joy, peace, patience. These are fruits of the Spirit and God is ready to just let them pile out of us. So we're all called and we're all missionaries. That's just the, the reality. So we always talk about, well, uh, we're talking about calling here, okay? So God is calling Jonah. Okay, right at the gate, he's giving him the second idea. Well, what do I mean by this, right? What do I mean by being called? Because he hasn't called me, God hasn't, on my iPhone. So there's this idea that I want us to all understand is that he's wired you a particular way. 
So if every Christian is a missionary and Christians are human beings, well, every human being is unique. And so with these little Jonah cards, the first question to help us to discern this calling is, what is my passion? How has God wired me? And so then the trick is this. In order to hear a call, you've actually got to hear it. You've actually got to listen. And so how many of you have uh, heard of Dr. Street, if you've been around this church? We did a book release and we had a book called Heaven on Earth. Who's read Heaven on Earth? There's a chapter in that book. And if you don't have it, I encourage you to get it. It's all about the kingdom. It's about living in light of this mission of God to establish his kingdom on earth. It's beautiful. It's great. It's super readable. He's got a chapter in there and it's called AMFM Christians. I think it's a really great chapter because he talks about how a lot of us function as an AM signal with our relationship with God. Maybe if you're really awesome, super Christian, you're reading the Bible every single day. Maybe if you're really awesome, super Christian, you're coming to Providence Community Church or some other church and you're listening to sermons and you're thinking. Maybe you're just listening to a sermon or two a month. But this becomes, as an AM Christian, as Dr. Street says, your primary relationship and connection to God. And if this is our primary relationship and connection to God, it's really just hitting us at a static, cognitive, mind level. And it becomes knowledge and information. And the reality is that knowledge and information rarely changes us. Okay? I can know that it's better to eat Brussels sprouts, but I hate eating Brussels sprouts. So we become AM Christians and we limit all of our experience with God to believing the right things and you don't have to function like those beliefs have anything to do with your life. This is Jonah. He believes all the right things. He has a beautiful confession of who God is in chapter 4 verse 2. He says, God, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger. But Jonah acts not this way at all. And Christians are the same way. And so we've got the AM dial, which is grainy and staticky. And then what happens is he describes then what happens when we shift the dial over and we come to FM and we hear the glorious, clean beats of Michael Jackson or somebody or the Beatles on K-Love or whatever. What happens is he describes Christians that are not AM Christians, but Christians that are dynamically actively, not just tuned in to the Bible on occasion or sermons on occasion or missional community on occasion, but really people who are actively trying to get tuned in to a clearer idea of what God is up to. And what you can also hear is the old Christian cliche, the still, small voice of God. And this is a difficult thing, isn't it? To, to sit and to listen. But you can't hear a call if you don't listen. And so listening to God is simply sitting and asking, where is it that you have already placed me? Because you have been called into relationship with Christ and God is reconciling the world through Christ so you are a missionary but you are also a unique missionary. So a lot of people say, well I have a heart for this nation over here. And then somebody says, I actually just have a heart for Lower Greenville. I have a heart for students in Wiley. So what happens is we begin to demarcate and separate and say that, well, I either need to be called somewhere out there or I need to be called somewhere in here. But the reality is it doesn't really matter 
What matters is you're paying attention and you're tuned in to the fact that God is always calling you to be a blessing and to make your place where you are or where you may be called to go look more like heaven than it does earth. And this is the calling. And again, you can have a heart for poor people, but that's just a belief in something up here until you actually live it out. I heard a story recently about a, um, a theologian in the 1970s, and the 70s was a decade after the civil rights movement, and it's a decade after people were uh, seeing protests, and there's, there's wars, and it's just a mess. And so in the 70s, the Christians in a vast majority of Christians in that time began to be keenly interested in social justice. There are theology movements springing out of this uh, time, and so then there's a big conference and I heard of a theologian in the 70s that came and he stood before Christians in a larger room than this and he said, we all have a heart for the poor, right? Yes, yes. And at that time, everybody was looking to Latin America, which was a mess. Maybe we look to Africa today. And he says, y'all all have a heart for Latin America, right? Yes, yes, God, please, yes. And he said, what are their names? What are their names? And so as we listen and as we try to look at Jonah and see that God gives him a second chance and God calls him, you have a pretty good indicator of how well you've been listening if you cannot name the neighbors that live around your street. God is calling us and He's asking us to participate in mission. So this is Jonah's call. He is told to go. Leave from where he is and go. But before we go on to his mission, we have to understand that mission begins and ends with prayer. So in order to be on mission with God, we must commune with God. And so Jonah heard this call, and he says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Look back at your Bibles. What does this thing great mean? Because I just told you that Nineveh was violent. But here, this term great is used also at the beginning of chapter 1. It's used again here. It's used again in chapter 4. Great means that this is the quantity, not quality. Nineveh was a massive city, okay? Dallas is great because it's big, right? So, we've got this great city. God says go. This time he does go. But Jonah couldn't just email in his mission that God called. He had to actually go and be present. He had to show up. Every Christian is a missionary, every Christian is called, and every Christian is sent. So we've got to pay attention. So then he says that Nineveh is a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Now this city of Nineveh, you need to know, was a very big city for its time. And cities at that time didn't just exist where you can just drive in on 75 or 635, they had walls, okay? And so Nineveh proper, which was also a part of like a metroplex, so Nineveh would be like Dallas, and then there were some other cities that are actually mentioned in Genesis. There are some other cities that would be like the metroplex of Nineveh. But Nineveh proper had a wall around it that was in some places 100 feet tall. 100 feet tall, and we're talking in the 700s B.C. This is insane. And we find that one of the kings of Assyria, Nineveh is the capital city, he expanded the city Nineveh proper from about three miles of walled city around 
he expanded it to about seven miles across, around, okay? Seven miles around, okay? So we've got a wall that's 100 feet tall, and in some places, watch, it's 50 feet thick. That's a big wall. That's a big wall. So Nineveh is here. It's walled up. They're part of a massive empire and a violent nation, and he's told to go there, okay? Let's look at that map again. If Jonah had left... Remember I told you of how deliberately and long it took him to get from that one point in the north to Joppa? If Jonah had gone when God called him the first time, it would have been a 500-mile journey, and he did not have a Prius. It was a 500-mile journey, and on a good day, people then would go 20 miles. My goodness, It would have taken that dude one month. So however long and energy he took running from God, he would have taken a much more inordinate amount of time pursuing God on the way to the belly of the beast because God sometimes, always, in fact, calls us to love even our enemies. 500 miles this dude is trudging and walking toward what he thinks may be certain death. And if that's not scary enough, we're told that this is a massive city that is a three days journey across. Now I just told you a day's journey on a good day is 20 miles. And Nineveh, that's about seven miles across in circumference, high school math people, circumference. Toby is the radius or diameter the whole way across. The diameter. The diameter was about three miles. So this is probably a reference to the fact that Jonah's job that he's trudging, if he had left a month toward, he's saying this is like a three-day at least job of going to every street corner and preaching this message that God wanted me to preach. So Jonah was called. Jonah had his mission to go to Nineveh. And he also had a message And if he wasn't scared enough going to Nineveh where they'd kill people and put their heads on spikes and burn corpses alive, if he wasn't scared, wait till God tells him what he's supposed to say. So here's his message. Here's his message. Look at verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He got up, this time not to run, but to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, like we said, and it took three days to go through it. This is a long-range job he's doing. So then in verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What is his message? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown or overturned. This is the gist of his message. This is the bullet point of his message. So he goes right into the belly of the beast. God says, go to your enemies. Go to the enemies whose wickedness has risen up to me and give them a chance to turn. Just like I gave you a chance to turn, you give them a chance to turn. And he's going to corner to corner. You have to visualize this. It's still a long journey from where he got spit off back to the land. He goes 500 miles and then he says, you've got 40 days before my God wipes you off the earth. The word used there is the same word used in Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And if you've seen that show on the History Channel, it didn't look good because there were some ninja angels that whooped them. Only three people who saw that show know what I'm talking about. Mark's talked about it in this church. Y'all should watch the Bible and the Kung Fu Ninjas. This is bad news. And so here's the deal. When does the 40 days begin? Presumably when Jonah shows up and starts going to the places and saying 40 more days. So the message is one that says basically, repent, turn around. You are headed for certain destruction. And so then the message, the gist of it, is that bad things are coming. Judgment is coming. And he's telling this to a people who have been the strongest superpower for years. And this is what happens. How long did it take Jonah? He began by going a day's journey inside the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites, what does yours say? Believed God. Jonah made it one third of the way in to the darkest, hardest, craziest place, telling them that certain death was coming and they believed God. The Ninevites did not worship God. They worshipped a male and a female deity. Asur and Ishtar, if you want to Wikipedia them. But they found Asur and Ishtar completely worthless when a third of the way through the town they hear this guy Jonah who brings nothing but himself and a calling and a mission and a message. And it's enough to where they believe that his God may be up to something. So what was really Jonah's message? I told you this whole 40-day ultimatum. Really Jonah's message is this. Whatever gods and things you rely on really don't amount to anything in the midst of the powerful God who created the world and extends His reign over it. Jonah is sent for the one true God to invite people to turn from their violent ways, to turn from their gods to the only God who has the power not only to create, but to bring down. What is our message, right? Are you going to go to your workplaces because you're called and all this stuff that I'm talking about and say, in 40 days, if you don't quit it, But what's crazy is our message, watch, is actually the same message. What is our message? Look real quick. It's not on the screen because I just decided we're going to do this. Look at Romans chapter 10. Look at Romans chapter 10. What is our message? Because God has called every one of us. God has placed us exactly where we are. Or God has wired us to go somewhere just like Jonah Look at Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at uh, verse 14. What would have happened if Jonah had not gone to Nineveh? What would have happened if Jonah had not gone to Nineveh? They, within a a third of his trip, turned and repented and believed Yahweh, believed God. Paul says this many centuries later. How then... 
can they, and he's speaking of people in his world, in his part, maybe 500 miles away, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Did the Ninevites believe in Yahweh, Israel's God? Of course not. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Had they heard of Yahweh? Well, probably, but they liked their gods a lot better. But how can they really hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring what? Good news. Good news, you heard the word gospel. What is he talking about? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? What is he after? He's quoting a passage I want you to flip back past Jonah to Isaiah. What is he talking about? What is our message? What is good news? What is gospel? Look at Isaiah chapter 52. Look at verse 7. What is Paul after? How can these Ninevites call if they've not heard? And what are they supposed to hear? Isaiah writes in Isaiah 52 chapter 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring what? Good news. What are they proclaiming? Peace. Who bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Your God reigns. What we are after, if we are on mission, you've heard the phrase, how many of you have heard the quote that says, preach the gospel, the good news, at all times. And when in doubt, or when necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that? It's attributed to Francis of Assisi. That is baloney with the capital B-A-L, however you spell baloney. It is garbage. Because look, When Jesus came, He healed people. He touched lepers. He fed people. He gave them drinks. He came to the prostitutes. He came to the poor. He came to the oppressed. And He said to them, repent and believe in the Gospel because the Kingdom is near. What is our message today? We're not going to our coworkers and called to say, you've got 40 days, friend. We're going to people and saying there is a kingdom, there is a reign, and it is more beautiful than the mess of this world. But what God is doing slowly, patiently, deliberately, mercifully is using jabronis and idiots like me to find moments of truth and beauty to say my way sucks, but Jesus is life. And so I follow Jesus because Jesus is going to give me a life that will not end. When this life ends that I know, God's life will consume all. And this earth that we live on right now, that's a mess, that's dark, that's disgusting, that's riddled with cancer, that's riddled with uh, anxiety and depression and drugs and violence, all of these things, what is happening slowly now through little guys and gals like us, proclaiming, alerting people to the reality, here's some good news. Here's some good news. 
God's reign is extending. God's reign is being offered to even the people like Nineveh. God's reign is offered to you. God is offering you a chance at life. And watch. There is forgiveness of sins in this reign. In this life. In this place where Jesus reigns, there is forgiveness for those who have turned from their way and come into Jesus' way of life. Because Jesus said, repent. And what repent means is, you're headed this way, come this way. You followed this God, Ninevites have followed this God, follow this God. Because our God reigns. So yes, there's forgiveness. Yes, we pray and ask Jesus to rescue us. But it's so much bigger than that. Your God reigns is much, much bigger than if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for little old beautiful you. I'm sorry, that's the reality. Because God doesn't just want to stop with you. He wants the entire world to be flooded with His mercy and grace. Like the waters cover the sea. That's what Isaiah says elsewhere. And we are tasked as those forgiven and those who have been brought out of darkness and into life to go to the people in the darkness and alert them to the news, not a suggestion, that our King Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And you can get in on it now. This is huge. This is gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, God establishing kingdom, establishing beauty, establishing truth. And we who are His are on that train, headed to that day where His kingdom will fill all and there will be no more tears. And He will renew this world. He will renew you. But there are so many nations and people that He wants with us. And so He calls us to go across the street or 500 miles away. And He asks us to be present to the needs of our neighbors and our people. This is the conspiracy of the kingdom. That you don't have to go and knock on doors and preach at people between a door jam when you invite them into your home and ask them how their day was for six months or years. You don't have to go to the office and preach at your coworker for all the wild things they do on the weekend when you have lunch with them and care about what's going on with their kids. You don't have to go to your schools at the classrooms and in the cafeteria wearing a Christian shirt and browbeating them, but you can go to that table in the back that none of your other friends go and you can be present to the needs of people who need a friend. And it will surprise them because God's reign and God's kingdom is surprising because He invites all the wrong people in. And so we are little signposts and images to that day. And so until then, what we're asking 
is nothing more than being tuned in to what he's after. To be present to God and present to others. Right? Because we're told to what? Love God and love others. This is Christianity, folks. But we cannot call ourselves a missional church if we don't begin to reclaim this kind of identity and this kind of, this kind of thinking. Because God is on mission and He's merciful and loving and He is partnering with us, but we can opt out. Because there are a billion Christians in this world, so says all the data. And the world doesn't look much more like the kingdom than it does the kingdom of darkness. So surely we can opt out. So all I'm asking you to do tonight is know and recognize like what I'm going to remind you every week, man, is that God is extending His kingdom. And we don't go and force it. We simply just participate with what He's already up to. We ride the wave. And we ride the wave by alerting the world to God's reign. I want to close with one little story. And then I want us to just consider those places and those leanings that God is inviting us toward and how we can be present and how we might look for those opportunities to simply just breathe a little bit of that kingdom light. Maybe it's a word of encouragement or otherwise. But here's a story. So there's a town <clears throat> uh, in, in there's, a place, there's places in the UK, there's places in Australia. But there's a town in Australia and, uh, that, that the mayor called a pastor and said, we have got a mess on our hands. There is a brokenness here and it's in this specific part of the world, a specific part of our city in which we've just paved the way and it's this uh, entertainment arts district, there's bars, there's clubs and all hours of the night. In Dallas they stop at two and here they stop never. It's 24 hours, alcohol is flowing, People are spilling out into the bars, into this one little pedestrian area. It's like 6th Street. It's like Deep Ellum, but Deep Ellum still has cars honking and construction. But it becomes just a volatile hotbed, and it is the most dangerous place in this town in Australia because of alcohol-related violence. And so the mayor calls this pastor. The mayor calls a pastor and says, what can we do? Already, kingdom seeds are coming. So what happens is this pastor gets all the other pastors together and they talk about, you know, what are they going to do? Or should they do a Christian concert? Should they do this or should they do that? And finally, just by Google, they found these dudes in the United Kingdom in England. And they found these dudes that would go out to these pubs and to these bars, similar instances of alcohol-related violence, and they would simply just wear a shirt that says street pastor. It's a weird little thing. Street pastor. And guess what these street pastors did? Those who felt like they wanted to be on part, on mission, and do this, they'd go at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., because that's where these people are. That's when they're spilling out. And they'd walk the streets, and their only M.O. was to be present. And what happened is, when they were present, they found themselves open to what God was doing, open to the 19-year-old kid who slipped in, had too much to drink, and is puking his brains out in the gutter, and they get to stand next to him and help get him home. And then they find the guys with the goofy street pastor shirt. They get to go, and they get to have the woman 
who's 72 years old and she gets to walk up to the two guys that are 6'4 and they're 30 years old and they're about to just break each other's faces and then their nana walks up, right? Nanny walks up and says, hey, can I help you guys? And what happens is a year later, the alcohol-related violence plummets by 50% because these people wore these goofy shirts and they were simply present where God had called them to be in the neighborhood in which they lived. And so tonight we close and we just simply ask God for the grace for us to be present where we are that we might be just little lights, little traces, little glimpses of the God who reigns and that His reign would be just as it is in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our world as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we spend these moments coming to the table remembering Jesus who died for the world, who was lifted up that He might draw all to Himself. And so, We ask for the strength and the grace to pick up our cross and to follow you, to follow you in the places that you're asking us to go. Would you in these moments perhaps continue to speak to us, to beckon us, to invite us, and give us the strength to turn and follow you? This week, would you keep our minds alert to your work, your love, your presence, that we would be present to those you bring us into contact with. We love you. Bless us. Thank you for meeting with us. Through Christ our Lord, amen.